The Orthodox Journey. In this edition of The Orthodox Journey, we reflect upon the Gospel reading on the first Sunday of Luke, in which Christ calls two fishermen to become fishers of men. We also reflect upon the life of St. John the Theologian and bring you our weekly spiritual reflection. This is The Orthodox Journey. The Holy Gospel reading on the first Sunday of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Funnily enough, the last time I spoke on this podcast, the topic was on the calling of the disciples from the account given in the Gospel of Matthew, which is also the topic of today's Gospel reading. However, we are looking at the other differing account of the calling of the disciples today, which is found in Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. So today's Gospel reading tells of when Christ stood by the Sea of Galilee and saw how Simon, soon to become Peter, and three other fishermen were washing their nets after a night of fishing in which they caught nothing. Christ got into one of Simon's boats and taught from the boat to the multitudes who were listening from the shore. After he had finished speaking, Christ instructed Simon to go into the deeper water and cast their nets for a catch. Simon answers him, saying, Master, We have toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And I think we all know what happens next. The nets were filled so much that they started to break. Then Christ caused them, saying, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And they forsook all and followed him. Now, there is so much we could draw from this passage. The sequence of these events, for instance, in which Christ firstly observes the struggle of the men, then teaches the multitudes, then goes on to test the fishermen, provides for them in great and overwhelming abundance, and finally calls them in itself. This is a lesson in patience and Christ's mercy. The calling is another topic itself, especially the manner in which the men are called, which shows the gentle and moving ways in which Christ speaks to us and draws us near to him by using that which is familiar to us. Christ reveals himself to these men in an environment and using means known to these fishermen so that they could better grasp the awesomeness of who they were facing. The blessed Theophylact comments on this saying, Marvel at how wisely the Lord arranges our salvation, drawing to himself each one by means of the things that are his own and with which he is familiar. As he had attracted the Magi with a star, so now he draws the fishermen by means of fish. We could focus on the last part of the passage, on that phrase, catching men, on how the the disciples and, and later the apostles brought humankind to the knowledge of Christ. In the festal hymn of Pentecost, we chant, Through the fishermen, you drew the world into your net. But I wanted to focus today on the synergy between the fishermen and Christ in this event and on God's ultimate providence. What do I mean by synergy and what do we mean by God's providence? Let's break this down a bit. 
In Orthodox teachings, we believe that salvation requires us as free beings to work together with divine grace. There is a collaboration between God's work and our work as free persons with our own will. As St. John of Tobolsk wrote, None of our own attempts and efforts can save us without the help of God, but neither can God's help be beneficial to us without our own wish for it. Synergy requires us to accept the limitations of our knowledge and our powers as created beings. It requires us to recognize and trust in the unfathomable knowledge and works of God, who knows all without the boundaries of time or space. Synergy promises eternal and perfected freedom when we use our earthly freedom to thank God, to praise him, to follow him, to love him. In the words of St. Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, we are God's fellow workers. The examples of synergy in Christ's ministry are numerous. The blind man the blind man who was instructed to go and wash the mud off his eyes is one that comes to mind. The ultimate example of synergy is Panagia, the heavenly ladder by which God descended as we chant in the Akathisto, and then in the next breath we chant, Hail, O Bride, leading those from earth to heaven. You can see here how we have perfect synergy steeped in our hymnology. God descends and Panagia leads us up. Back to the Gospel now. The synergy between Christ and Simon in this passage is remarkable. See what Christ requests of Simon firstly to embark on his boat and then to let down the nets. In both instances, there is a dialogue, a choice and the reigning of freedom. That is the willing movement of Simon towards Christ, just as Christ moves towards Simon. These were Simon's possessions, his livelihood, his everyday environment. Christ doesn't reject these things. He doesn't ignore the material, the necessities in our life. Instead, he bows himself and works within it and challenges us to use our freedom to rise beyond it. And in this case, in an almost absurd manner, the men had worked all night. They were experienced fishermen and they hadn't been successful. What Christ asked of them to let down their nets when it was not the suitable time of day to fish when they had already tried so much, was irrational to anybody. Simon's obedience, despite the intellectual obstacles which he acknowledges, is incredible. And God's providence in response, the filling and overfilling of the nets, is so striking for Simon that it changes the course of his life. I think we should just pause here and examine what we mean by God's providence. We may have an image in our mind of a path that God has for us to follow. And when we sin, we are deviating from this path and we struggle to get back to this one sacred providential path. Much like the Maps app on our phones telling us to turn back when we've made the wrong turn and there's no other way out. However, if we look at the teachings of the church, we find that God's providence is more creative more merciful than this simplistic version. There is not one path to salvation. There is one destination. When we sin, when we make a wrong turn, God's providence means that in his absolute goodness, he is working all things together to bring us to union with him. The dilemma is not how to secure our one path, which would diminish our God-given free will, 
but rather the dilemma is the state of our heart and soul, which we need to repent for continuously. St. John Chrysostom, in his treatise on God's providence, sets out the extreme disparity between our own knowledge and God's knowledge. We know so little about why things happen the way that they do. The fathers of the church even make the point that the existence of evil is allowed by God to bring about good as part of his mysterious providence. St. John of Tobolsk explains that all the contradictory manifestations that we come across in our lives are all wisely directed by God's providence. All earthly misfortunes are transformed by God into a benefit and advantage for us. Even sinful transgressions are tolerated in order to bring us to our senses and to achieve our salvation through repentance. For to do good deeds and to tolerate heinous ones is characteristic exclusively of divine providence, since God would never allow the existence of evil were he not as mighty and good as to produce good consequences from all evil deeds. When trials and struggles enter our lives, we try to make sense of things. We try to figure out why we are enduring hardship. Sometimes these thoughts bring us to the wrong conclusions. St. John Chrysostom says that we cannot possibly know the reasonings for why God does what he does. What we can know is that God's actions are entirely out of love, compassion and a desire for our salvation. If we are to achieve synergy in all things within our power, we must work towards humble glorification of God, but also accept that in the many things we can't know or control, God's will for us must be good by his nature. It is intrinsically merciful, it is humble, and works towards loving unity in his kingdom. On the 26th of September, we celebrate the memory of the holy and glorious Apostle and Evangelist John the Theologian, the Virgin Disciple and beloved friend who leant on the Saviour's breast. We know that St John the son of Zebedee the fisherman and Salome a daughter of Joseph the betrothed was helping his father fishing when called by Christ to become a fisher of men. 
He was the youngest of the disciples, yet he was one of Christ's closest three and rendered worthy to experience special revelations of the Lord's divinity, such as his glorious transfiguration and the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. He was regarded as the disciple whom Jesus loved or the beloved disciple. But did Christ show favoritism? Did he really love John more than the other disciples? Or was it rather John's pure love for Christ that evoked a certain response noticeable by all? At the Lord's mystical supper, Peter beseeches the young John, whose head was allowed to lean on Christ's right shoulder during the meal, to ask the difficult question on their behalf as to which of them would betray the Lord. When the Jews subsequently laid hold of Jesus, only John follows him into the court of the high priest. He then remains with Christ throughout his trial and humiliating crucifixion, standing amongst Christ's enemies at the foot of the cross. We see here that his love was not shaken by the hatred of those around him. He was loyal even when his closest friends had scattered. Many feel comfortable to show courage and express love for God when surrounded by fellow Christians or faithful friends. But how does our love stand when we are alone, or in the company of the enemies of Christ, or in the face of tribulation or persecution? Perhaps the current COVID-19 challenges and isolation have in certain ways exposed the sincerity of our love for God. In the writings of the saint's life, the fathers emphasize how he was called by all then and now as the virgin. It is said he was able to keep soul and body, mind and senses pure from every evil throughout his life. Fittingly, he was entrusted with the care of the all-pure Theotokos and ever-Virgin Mary. Christ said to Panagia from the cross, Woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. From that moment forth, like a loving son, St. John concerned himself solely over her care, serving her every need until her dormition. What Christ was to her by nature, St. John became to her by grace. After the dormition of the Theotokos, the Apostle went to Ephesus and many other cities of Asia Minor to preach the gospel, taking his disciple, the deacon Prochoros. On entering Ephesus, St. John said to Prochoros, My child, let the inhabitants of this place not know who we are or our business here until the Lord reveals himself. So they accept to work under the strict hands of a local bathhouse caretaker, Romana, who treats them like slaves, physically and verbally abusing them daily for months. One day, the son of the local governor and owner of the bathhouse died while bathing there. Romana was besides herself in distress. The governor, hearing the news, beset by such grief, passed away. Despite all the mistreatment he had received under their hands, St. John prays and restores the life of both the governor and his son. News of the miracle spread quickly, bringing many to the faith. The people of Ephesus were greatly devoted to the pagan goddess Diana. On the day of a high festival to her honour, the saints climbed onto her statue outside her temple and preached Christ from there. The pagans were enraged and tried to stone him, but all stones seemed to be diverted away from John and struck the statue behind him, bringing it to rubble. The people were further enraged and tried to stone him again. St John prayed and the earth quaked, leading to the death of 200 pagans. John's merciful disposition prompted him to pray for their restoration and indeed these were restored to life again. These and many other such miracles brought many idolaters to be baptised into the true faith. 
During his apostolic missionary work, St. John was known for his preaching on love. We learn in the Synaxarion that on his way to Ephesus, he stopped at a town where a young man of goodwill had been converted to Christianity. He left him in the care of a local bishop and then sometime later, as he was passing by that way again, he learned that this young man had abandoned his Christian faith and joined a band of robbers in the mountains of which he had become the leader. St. John immediately found a horse and headed toward the mountains in search for him. When he eventually fell into the band of robbers, he asked them to take him to their leader. When they did so, the young man, recognising John, became embarrassed, turned around and ran away. St. John, notwithstanding his old age, pursued him, reminding him of God's great love for each and every one of us. The robber, overcome by these words of hope, but even more by St. John's fatherly love and concern for him, abandoned his life in the mountains and returned with St. John to Ephesus and thereafter became steadfast in the faith for the rest of his life. Like a good shepherd, St. John was prepared to go to any length and overcome every obstacle for the sake of one soul. He was not someone who was satisfied to simply preach and then move on. He had a personal, pastoral interest in all his spiritual children and embraced them with fatherly love. Through his gospel, we see that he was particularly sensitive to all of Christ's messages about love. He writes, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. In his epistles, St. John tries to emphasize how love for God and love for one's neighbor are inseparable, writing, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For how can he who has not loved his brother whom he has seen love God whom he has not seen? Later in life, St. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Tradition recounts that here, in the year 67 AD, St. John withdrew with Prochoros to a desolate cave wherein he received the vision of the end times. Prochoros recorded this vision which later was included as the final book of the New Testament, the book of Revelations. Eventually, St. John returned from exile to Ephesus, wrote the Gospel of John and spent the last years of his life in strict asceticism, eating only bread and water, wearing basic garments and keeping silence. He did not have the strength to speak long sermons anymore. Eventually, the only thing people heard him saying was, Little children love one another. Orthodox Spiritual Reflections The greatest privilege, but also the greatest problem for the faithful, is prayer. Our late Archbishop Stylianos said this when explaining the importance of prayer in a Christian's life. So how do we pray? Firstly, we must stand before God and mentally keep our eyes on Him. We talk to Him with reverent fear and hope. Prayer can also be without words, by simply remaining in God's presence, saying nothing and being conscious that He is there. The next step in learning how to pray is to have a daily rule of prayer. We should say our morning and evening prayers from an Orthodox prayer book, and before receiving Holy Communion we should read the preparation prayers. These prayers are written by our saints and are filled with holy wisdom. When we pray at home and in church, we aim to concentrate on the words of the prayer and stay focused. The Church Fathers teach us that we can begin to experience true prayer 
when we begin to concentrate in this way. Achieving deeper prayer, however, is a long journey. It requires us to clean out our passions and our self-love. And, as Christ himself taught us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. True prayer helps us to repent, and it reunites us with God. And this is because God will never despise a broken and a humbled heart that is aware of its faults. As Orthodox Christians, another critical part of our prayer life is the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. We can say this prayer both formally and informally throughout the day. To cultivate the Jesus Prayer, we can set aside some quiet time each day. And this way, we will give our undivided attention to repeating the prayer. But we can also repeat it while driving, waiting in a queue, doing housework, if we are not able to sleep, and so on. Most important of all is to say this prayer, the Jesus Prayer, with humility and with genuine love for God. The Jesus Prayer, when practiced in this way, will protect us from temptation and bring us closer to God. Ultimately, the journey to true prayer is a lifelong struggle. But it is, as Archbishop Stylianos reminded us some years ago, a Christian's greatest privilege. Thank you.
hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.